um, I'm just honored to open the Word of God with you. Hey, if you've got a Bible, open to Luke 10 this morning. And uh, if you're online, thank you so much for joining us this morning. And uh, God's moving at Walk Church. And uh, we believe you're going to experience the presence of God uh, through Walk Church, even online this morning. God can do that. And we believe that uh, it's an ordained moment in your life if you're joining us online this morning. It's not coincidence that you're with us. But we believe God's got a word for you as well. And so, so Luke chapter 10 and... Uh, uh, I want to give you some context in a moment, but we're in a series that Pastor Hyden started last week called The Parable Collection. And so he defined what a parable was last week, and I just kind of want to put it on the screen here. It's basically a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual um, truth, a spiritual lesson, if you will. And uh, Jesus was, how, how many of you know Jesus is the greatest teacher of all time? Yeah. Like, he is like the goat. I mean, he is an incredible teacher. And, uh, and so uh, Jesus often, if you, see, if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the thing that you'll notice about Jesus, the way that he teaches is, you don't see Jesus a lot of time um, giving necessarily a lot of statements. In fact, Jesus does most of his teaching through questions and these parables, te- um, and, uh, these lessons. And the reason why is because there's deeper meanings that Jesus is getting to. And uh, Jesus loves tension. We hate tension. We try to get out of tension. We actually try to get people to pray us out of tension. But God actually does some of the greatest works in our life in tension. Okay? Now, there's a lot there. I'm just telling you, when the rains come and the winds blow and my house stands and God is faithful, there's a difference between knowing God's faithful and like knowing God's faithful. And I know God's faithful when the rains came and the winds blew and my house was built on you. Amen? And so, 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 so what, what these stories do, what Jesus does is he makes people wrestle with uh, these, these truths that are really in our, digging deep into our hearts. There's a deeper meaning um, in the things that he's teaching. And so, so he uses them in these short stories called uh, parables. And so um, uh, how many of you know that there's power in the name of Jesus? Yeah. Amen. There's power in the name of Jesus. And what you're going to see in this chapter, in the first part of Luke 10, and I wish I could read the whole chapter. Amen. There, there, when you read the whole chapter, you're going to see that there's power in the name of Jesus, in the presence of Jesus. And so what happens in the first part is he sends 72 of his followers out ahead of him to do ministry. And what's happening in this moment is um, it's Jesus, it's, it's, it's literally the greatest chapter to understand Jesus' discipleship model. Um, I wish I had time to explain more of that, but I will say this is that um, Jesus never really taught just in, um, just in case. He always taught just in time. What I mean by that is that Jesus always uses tension to teach you in the moment of tension what you need to know because you have to unlearn what you think you know to learn something new. A lot there, I'm telling you. Like there's a whole sermon in that, right? Because what Jesus would do is he would send his followers. See, the way, the way we teach is we put you in rows and we try to teach you everything you need to know for you to go do. The way Jesus did it was is we're going to go do it. And as we do it and we experience tension, I'm going to teach you about it. And I'm going to teach you about it by sharing these parables that make you wrestle with it. Right? This is Jesus' discipleship model. And you see this in Luke 10. So these incredible followers of Christ go out. They go in groups of two. They, they're depending on God. And they start experiencing God's power in their life. They start seeing, they even say, you'll see it there in the text, that, that even the demons listen to them and obey. Like, like they're, seeing, they're seeing these amazing miracles happen. But I want you to pay attention to what Jesus says um, in this moment. Because in verse 20, he gives this kind of like, cautionary statement. He gives this moment where he's, he says, hey, um, I think it's great that you're to experience this, but I just want to caution you for a second because they are pumped up that God's doing miracles around them. They are pumped up that God is using their life. But this is what he says. He says, I don't, 
I, I, it's great that, I'm, that you're rejoicing in what, what I'm doing, but he says, don't rejoice that the Spirit submit to you. But he says, actually rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What's Jesus saying? Here's what, here's what, here, listen to this. Here's, here's what he's saying. He's saying, be careful that you don't find your ultimate fulfillment or that you don't rejoice too much in what I can do to you. Of course I can do that. I'm God. Don't get so hung up on what I'm doing with your life. What you should be hung up on, what you should be excited about this morning is that I know you and that you know me and that your name is secure in heaven because of what I'm doing for you. That's what you should be most excited about. Like I often think, what would church service be like if people walked into church service in the morning and we all have got rain coming, we've got storms in our life, we've got stuff in our life, we've got anxiety and worry and all these things. What would it look like for Christians to be so filled up in the realities that God knows us and loves us and we're secure in him and that we're a thousand year righteous right now sitting today. You are as a thousand percent righteous right now as you will be a thousand years in heaven. You're like, but you don't know my life. Listen, God looks on you and sees Jesus. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you walked in here this morning, God says that's royalty. God looks at you and says, you are righteous. And you say, I don't feel righteous. I didn't ask you how you felt. I asked you what God said about you. And God says, you are righteous. You say, but I struggle. Yes, you struggle. But listen, listen, your identity is not based on what you do. Your identity is not based on what you think you are. Your identity is based on what he says you are. And he says you're royalty. That's what a Christian is. So what would it be like for the Christians to walk in here and be like, wow, I'm just going to bathe in the truth that my name is written in heaven. Regardless of what I'm going through, when rains come and winds blow, my house is built on you. I'm securing you. You know what would be different? Our worship would be different. We wouldn't mind if the service went over 10 minutes because we'd just be excited. (laughs) Right? We wouldn't be thinking about how's God going to help me today. No, we'd be thinking God already helped me. Like, that's what we'd be thinking. We'd be so pumped up. So in other words, don't get so impressed with what God can do through you. Be more impressed with what God has done for you. So Jesus says this, right? Dallas Willard, um, I love this quote. He says, we are unceasing spiritual beings with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. We are not only loved by, I like this, but we are what? Liked. Not only has God loved us. See, most of us get this. We're like, yes, yes, Jesus, God loves me. I'm justified. We don't live into that. But I like this idea. See, love in American context is so weak. The fact that God is proud of me, even though of my shortcomings and he still likes me, that's powerful. That you walk in security. Get this, church, this scene. Jesus is literally physically standing in front of these people. And he's saying, I'm proud of you. I like you. Get more impressed that I came for you. (laughs) Get more impressed with not what I can do. Get more impressed that I know you. That's what you should be impressed about. The power is in who you are in Christ. The power is in the love of God for you and me. And so here's what I want to do. I want to preach a sermon this morning that I've entitled, The Power, The Power You Need. The Power You Need. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I pray this morning through the camera online to the people in this room God, would we recognize, would we see ourselves in the scriptures, God? Would we recognize that your presence is in the room? Would we recognize, Lord, that we're not just hearing some self-help 
great lesson that some guy came up with, God, but we are literally opening the word of God, the living word of God, and we are listening to you. God, would you speak this morning and everything that's of you, would it so dig deep in our hearts and everything that's of me would be completely forgotten. God, would you change lives this morning? Would you interpret this text to every single person the way they need to hear it this morning? God, you're the greatest Jesus. You are the greatest teacher. You're better at it. Would you be front and center and speak to us this morning? And all God's people say, amen. 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 So just after these followers come back to Jesus, they report what's happening. And you know, there's always a Debbie Downer in the group, a negative person, right? You know that, right? God's doing amazing things. People are talking about it. Jesus says, hey, be careful. Be more, more excited about your names are written in the Lamb's of God. Be more excited that you have eternal life. He's talking about eternal life. So there's a Debbie Downer, a religious Pharisee, a lawyer in the room, a religious elite, Jewish elite in the crowd. He stands up and he says, okay, Jesus is telling these people to have eternal life. So he wants to challenge Jesus. So he says, Jesus, teacher, he says, um, what do I have to do to get eternal life? And in classic fashion, what does Jesus do? He asks a question, right? And so the question is, is what is written in the law? How do you do it? So the, so the man says, love the Lord your God, of course. The Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, your mind. And your what? Neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you answer correctly, Jesus told him. And this is such a powerful statement. Jesus says, then just go do that. So what's Jesus saying? Listen, this, this man was brilliant enough to, to, to know what Jesus is saying in this moment. In fact, this is why the next text, the next verse says, wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, like, supposedly, like, who's my neighbor? Like, are you talking metaphorically? Now, this guy's smart enough. He's wise enough. He understands the scriptures enough. He, he, he's, a, he's a religious elite. He knows more scripture than any of us in this room will ever know. And he looks at Jesus, and what Jesus is saying, he knows what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, the love of the Lord your God, our heart, soul, and mind, and strength, love your neighbor yourself, sometimes. What Jesus is saying is that you must, if you want to save yourself, if you want eternal life, love the Lord your God, our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself all the time. Be perfect at it. Just go do that. And so the religious lawyer's thinking, hold on a second. I'm going to have to justify myself to get out. Anybody try to get out of something before? Like you're in it and you try to get out of it? It's like the Homer Simpson meme. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm talking about? So, cool. So it's like we want to get out of it. In fact, I was just telling, uh, I told the last service, I said this past week my thermostat broke on my, um, in my house and I wanted to like fix it and I'm cheap. So like I want to do it myself. So like I go to like, you know, Lowe's, find the cheapest one I can get or whatever. Um, and, and I go home, I want to fix this thing. It's like nine o'clock at night. My wife's like, why are you doing this at nine? We turn off everything. But the instructions say like, turn off all the power, right? And I'm like, well, God, I don't want to get shocked. But like, I turn off the breakers and it's still on. I'm like, what's going on? Right? So I'm freaking out. I'm so mad. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I know. So I'm getting hot, you know? And when I get hot, I'm taking shirt off. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I'm like mad, right? Okay. You're not those. I, I do that. So, so I'm just like, yeah, he's angry, right? I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? And I wanted out of it. I wanted, like, I'd already taken it off. I had already cut the cord. They're like pulling the cords out. They're, they're hot, by the way. Uh, yeah. And, and, and so I'm still standing, so we're good. And, and, and I'm, I'm having this moment, and I just want to get out of it. The instructions say, do it this way. But I just want to get out of it, right? But now I'm already in, because now I've taken it all off, right? So I'm trying to figure this thing out. Luckily, praise the Lord, we got it 
put together and all that. Now, my son did say the light the other night just turned on randomly in the hallway on, on like accident and went off by itself. I don't know what's going on. Pray for us. But the point is, the point is, I wanted out of the situation. It's exactly what this guy's doing. Jesus says, okay, here's the instructions. Love the Lord, guard our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is how you get eternal life. Now, here's what's so key about this, right? The guy knows, listen, it's easy for a religious person to say they love God. Of course I love God. I know the Shema. I'm Jewish. Of course I love God. It's the neighbor piece that I have a hard time with. He knows he can't do it because he has enemies. So what's Jesus do? Jesus says, okay, I'll define a neighbor for you. And here he goes. He tells a parable. And in the parable, he says, take a look at it. He says, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of a robber. They stripped him, beat him, and fled, leaving half, leaving half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road, and when he saw him, it's a very important word, he passed by the other side in the same way a Levite. So you can think what's happening here. He's listening to the story of Jesus. He's thinking, oh, great, a man of God who knows God, who loves God, is going to help this guy. But he doesn't. He sees him. He moves on. Oh, where's this story going? So then he says, a Levite, another religious elite, another person who's supposed to be to know God comes by. He's thinking, I'm sure the Levite's going to help the guy, right? Jesus telling the story. The Levite comes by, sees the man, saw the man. What's he do? Goes to the other side of the road. Don't help the man. Now, now we're in trouble. The guy's intrigued. Now, Jesus is about to make a statement that is probably the most socially disturbing statement he can make. This is the tension moment. And Jesus says, a Samaritan. Oof. Now, tension just got elevated. The man's locked in. Jesus is talking about his enemy now. To, to a Jew, a Samaritan is, 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 is hatred. In fact, Jews dis, were so disgusted by, they were half breeds they were half Syrian, half Jewish. A Jew would never even go to Samaria. <laughs> Not even through the town. Because they were so hated. They didn't want to associate with a Samaritan. So Jesus says, so a Samaritan comes by this time. He's like, oh gosh, where's this going? And Jesus says, this Samaritan also saw the man, but he had what? Compassion. And he went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to the inn, took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. This man is freaking out. Now what's interesting is Jesus ask a question. He says, what's he say? He says, which of these three men do you think proved to be a neighbor? And the man says, the one that shows mercy. And Jesus says, that's right. Just go do that. Now, here's what's so crazy. Y'all know those cliffhanger stories, like, like a movie when you watch a movie and like, you want to know what happens at the end or like with the people later on, you don't really know. It's a killer, right? exactly what this, I struggle with this story because we're literally left to believe at the end of the story that this guy actually went and did it. We don't know. All we know is that Jesus, this guy's saying, I want eternal life. Jesus says, okay, love the Lord your God, to our heart, soul, and mind, strength. Love your neighbor yourself all the time perfectly. Just go do that. And then he walks away. What? So we don't know what this guy did. I'm just assuming because he's a prideful religious elite, he probably actually tried to do it. But here's the problem. If, if we assume that's true, we can also assume he failed at it. Because you all fell at it. And I fell at it. Because here's the issue. The man's asking, who is my neighbor? Jesus says, 
Look, he didn't say, he didn't say, who is your neighbor? He says, he says, who is being the neighbor? He's saying, the issue is it's easy to love God to a religious person. It's hard to love a Samaritan. You see, the issue, it's a hard issue. I'll explain it to you. If you look back at the text, there's, there's one word in this whole text that just changes the game. He says, a priest, a religious man, saw him. A Levite saw him. And a Samaritan saw him. In the English language, we only have one word for saw or see. In the Greek language, there's two words for saw or see. One of the words means to acknowledge there's a problem. Acknowledge something. Like, I saw something. I see that sign. That's one Greek word. The other Greek word, iodon, is actually all three of these. They iodon this man. Iodon is, doesn't mean I just see it, I notice it, but I understand it. So how in the world can a person who is a Jew, a Jewish leader, look at another Jew, we're assuming he's Jewish because he's on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. How in the world does a person like them, not even their enemy, a, pers- a Jewish leader look at another Jew on the side of the road and not just see them, but understand what they're going through and walk past. Can I tell you how? The issue is not what they do. The issue is the heart. You actually do what you believe. You actually live out your heart. So the scripture says, like, the, 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 the streams of life flow from your heart. It's who you are. So, they saw, the religious leader saw, but this Samaritan, an enemy, saw and understood and yet had compassion. And this really messes us up. Because every time you've heard the Good Samaritan story, I guarantee you, and I almost preach it this way. You've heard four, heard the Good Samaritan story, and we all want to be the Good Samaritan. So I give you four points to be the Good Samaritan, and everybody goes out here this week and tries to buy everybody coffee. Now, is it wrong to go buy people coffee? No. Is it wrong to want to be the Good Samaritan? No. Is it, is it wrong to do that? No. Again, remember, we're talking about eternal life here, right? Are you going to do that? Are you going to love your neighbor like that all the time? No. I mean, come on. You, you get the story, right? You know who the good Samaritan is? Jesus. We, we want to be the hero. But you know who we are? We're the half-dead broken, in need person on the side of the road in need of someone who we were born enemies of, who saw us and had compassion on us, who came in the flesh of a man named Jesus and did for you what you could not do for yourself and picked you up off the road and not only bandaged you, but also is restoring you day by day. Because justification and, and sanctification are two different things. We're saved because of God's mercy on us. He, fought, he literally saved us when we were dead on the side of the road. But he's restoring, he's committed to restoring you the rest of your life to experience the love of God in the presence of God in your life. He is your good Samaritan. Jesus is actually the hero. You actually can't be the good Samaritan. 
You can't will yourself to be the good Samaritan. And in fact, you'll never will yourself to be the good Samaritan when it's your enemy. You know what I've learned about the Christian life? I think I've like defined it in my own life. This is literally like the the, the definition of the Christian life. And I know this from pain. Uh, Tozer, great theologian Tozer, he, he once said, God won't use a man or woman until he breaks them. That doesn't sell books, by the way. Um, but here's the, here's the definition of Christian life. Let me tell you, it to you. Here it is. Only the Christian, by the power of God in them, only the Christian can be betrayed, misunderstood, hurt, love people who aren't like you, love people who have different skin color than you. Come on, people. This is why it frustrates me that we don't see this in the church. Only, only the Christian has the ability to love people deeply, enemies, people who aren't like you, who, are misunderstand, who misunderstand you, who slander you, who hurt you, who look past you. Only the Christian can still look at those people and not only acknowledge them, but serve them. Only, listen, and look at this, only the Christian, but you know where the Christian gets their power? Jesus. Yeah. Only Jesus can love like that. Only Jesus can, can, can Jesus in us by the Holy Spirit love our enemies, love our neighbors. Jesus is our good Samaritan. And I want to give you a statement. Write this statement down and you're going to forget it. I'm telling you, this is like, you should read all the scripture through this filter. I'm giving you a filter. You should, every day when you wake up and you read the scriptures, you should think about this first. Here it is. What God wants to do through you, be a good Samaritan. He wants, to, he, he wants to do that through you. In order for that to happen, he must first do something in you that's deeper. You need a heart change. The Christian life is not you living for God and being a good Samaritan to earn salvation, to earn God's love. The Christian life is marinating in what Jesus has already done for us as our good Samaritan. We are the dead person on the road. He has secured our eternity by his sacrifice, but we are dependent upon him restoring us. It's why Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27 says it like this. It says, I will give you a what? A new heart. It's a heart issue. You will never love people not like you. You will not love your neighbor. You will not lead the good Samaritan. He has to give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. His Holy Spirit and give you a heart of flesh. Listen, like he says, I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes. He says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put a new spirit in you and you will actually start living out the Good Samaritan story. Not actually you living, me living the Good Samaritan through you. It's just going to start happening. Now here's the problem. I read this quote and I think it's so powerful for the Christian life. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors, pastors, theologians, he says it like this. He says, our most serious failure today is the inability to provide effective practical guidance as to actually how to live this life, the Christian life, the life of Jesus. And I believe that is due to this very real loss of biblical realism for our life. In fact, I'm sitting here saying only Jesus can be the good Samaritan through your life. And we're all like, yes, but no one really knows how that works. So we literally come to church and we're like, yes, 
and we leave and we don't actually practically know how he does this every day. We're not talking justification now. You with me? That's Jesus putting your faith in Jesus. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord, King, and Savior of your life. That is your first step. Without that, you are hopeless. You will not go to heaven. I don't care how good you are. You will never know God. You will not find peace. You will not find rest. You will never love your neighbor. You will never love your enemies. You will never, you will never experience the power of God if you don't start with Jesus. You with me? That's justification. The other side, though, if you have received Jesus, most of us, 98% of us don't know how the process of sanctification actually happens. In fact, we're not utilizing the power that God uses to actually shape us and use us. We don't know how to use it. We think the pinnacle of the Christian life is go to church and be a good church person. Don't get me started. So I'm going to give you two powers that, that most Christians are not utilizing in your life. And the reason why we will never truly experience Jesus living the Good Samaritan life through us where I almost will shock you. You'll be like, well, that's not me. Yeah, it's not you, it's him. Most of us never have those experiences because we're not utilizing these two powers. So there's two powers that you have to utilize in your life. Number one is this. The first power is we have to learn how to deeply marinate and embrace the power of God's love on my life, on your life. You have to you have to build within your life a rhythm to where every day when you pop up, ding, 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 alarm clock. Not this. Not, I need to go. The first thought that we have to learn to get up out of the bed and realize is, I'm a loved child of God. And my name is secure in heaven. And today there's going to be challenges. And today there's going to be victories but I'm not going to get impressed with the victories and I'm not going to get overwhelmed by the challenges because at the end of the day, I'm a child of God. Okay, let's go. And that's, that's the first thing. That's right, come on. That's the first thing. People don't know. I've always, I often tell people the biggest issue with the American church and people is that we're all just a bunch of babies, little boys and girls that need the love of our daddy. We've been saved and adopted, but we still act like orphans. We, we, we need the love of our Father. We need to live as if we've been adopted by the Father. We were broken. He saw us. He loved us. And we need to learn to live within that. For example, take the Good Samaritan story, for example, and start meditating less on what you can do for God and start meditating on what God's done for you. Start reading the Scriptures of Jesus as the hero and you're not. <laughs> start reading the Scriptures as you need Him. And when I read the Good Samaritan now in that lens, here's what I see. I see a God who is compassionate. I see a God who felt deeply. He empathizes. I often tell um, families, unfortunately, who have lost children or had wayward children, and, I, and, and, and they, they look at you on Mother's Day, and they're like, I'm broken. I've lost my child. And I say, listen, if there's anybody that empathizes with you, it's a God of the universe who also lost a child. Like he, like the, Jesus can look at a Christian and say, I know what it's like to love someone who betrays you. I know what it's like to be told you're loved, to say that they're going to follow you and they leave you. Do you know how many disciples showed up at the cross? Judas, the very man who sold him. Before he did that, Jesus passed the friendship of morsel and said, don't do this. I said, wash his feet. If anybody knows betrayal, it's Jesus. And Jesus says, I have compassion. I feel for you. I see you're broken. You're hurt. Yeah. 
and I feel for you. And you can't save yourself. You can't just get over your hurt. It doesn't work like that. You can't will yourself to this. But I know you. I'm coming for you. I see compassion. I see the love of God intentionally. He meets us where we're at. He doesn't ask us to come to him. He was so felt with compassion. He came to us. He met me in my broken place. If you're here this morning and you find yourself in a broken place, God's not asking you to will yourself out of that. God's saying, no, I'm actually in it with you. He's not trying to will yourself out of your tension. He's saying, no, don't miss me. I'm with you in it. I've, I've, I've come to be with you in it. I'm going to even use it in your life to restore you. I see God's intentionality. When I read the Good Samaritan, I see God's sacrificial love to give us his life, to give us his best, to do whatever it takes to fully restore you. I see God's faithfulness. He's faithful to restore, not just pull you off the street, but actually give, give, give his best and sacrifice. And he's faithful to see it through the, whole, the, the, the long run. And get this, he's so faithful that he's coming back. He's coming back to fully glorification, to fully restore us. That's who I see. Philippians 1.6 says, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it to completion. Some of you need to hear that today. You need to know that what God started you, he's going to complete. He's faithful. He's the good Samaritan. The real power, the real power to experience this in your life, Christian, is you have to find ways. If it's a post-it note in your car, I don't know how it, how it works for you, but you have to remind yourself of how much you're loved by God every day. This is why I tell people, the reason why you don't need to miss church is not because God loves you more or doesn't if you're not here. The reason why you don't need church, I'm sorry, the reason why you don't miss church is because you need to be reminded that God loves you and get this. And even more than that, it's not coming to church for you. You know what you're supposed to do? It's actually, I'm so filled up in the love of God. There's somebody there this morning that doesn't know that. And I'm going to sing so loud this song that they're reminded that God loves them. I'm reminding each other <laughs> that when the rains come and the winds blow, it's okay. I'm going to make it through. You're going to make it through. Trust, trust me. And that's what God's doing. He's reminding us that he loves us, that he's our good Samaritan. Christians don't know how to do that. We don't do it enough. The second thing is this, second power, is we need to learn how to embrace the power of his presence. So not only am I going to read the word, see Jesus as the good Samaritan, embrace his love for me, don't be so impressed with what God can do through your life. Be more impressed with what God wants to do in your life, it's on your life, that he loves you, he's for you. You're a child of God. Embrace all that every day. And then the second thing is, is you need to take the seriousness of utilizing the presence of God every day in your life. Here's what I mean by that. I'm gonna, you gotta write this down. I'm telling you, you're, gonna, you're telling you, Satan's gonna make you forget this if you don't write this down. He hates this. It is necessary to have a personal time with Jesus every day. You're like, that's so simple. It's not. It's complex. Can I just tell you, everybody in this room, including this pastor, struggles with this? What? Yeah. You know why? Because we go to doing. We go to want to be the hero. We go to want them to will ourselves to out of our problems. And I'm telling you, the thing that Satan wants to do most is to rob this time that you have with God. Not only do I need to embrace God's love for me, 
But you know when God does that the most? Before you step out of the house and you think, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go. Listen, you can't afford to go. If you go in your own strength and you're not reminded of his love for you and you're not reminded of his presence with you, you will live a life of anxiety, worry, frustration, failure, guilt. That's what you're going to experience. It's not legalism for God to love you. Listen, you need God, you need Jesus because he's the good Samaritan that you need every day. He needs to save you from you every day. You have to spend time with him. Ian Bounds, he said it like this. He said, the person who have most fully illustrated Christ in their character and have most powerfully affected the world for him have been people who spend so much time with God as to make it a notable feature in their life. There is no other way. There is no other booklet. The only way to God is a relationship with Jesus. You cannot live the Shema perfectly. You cannot love your neighbor perfectly. The only way to God is Jesus for you who don't know him. The only way to experience Jesus, transform your life, is embracing his love for you and utilizing his presence in you on a daily basis. It's the only way, people. It's, it's, it's like, well, I haven't spent time with the Lord in a long time. I'm telling you, it's the only way. There's no other way of doing it. It's not, it's not a way. And, and, and get this. You can close your Bibles and I want you to listen to this story. Don't you think it's interesting? I mean, God is so amazing. His word is so cool. This whole story is all put together. The Holy Spirit inspires Luke to write this. At the end of this story, there's, he gives one more story. I'm not going to read the full story, but the story goes like this. After he says, well, just tells the lawyer, just go do that. It jumps right into a story about Jesus visiting Mary and Martha. So Jesus goes to the home of Mary and Martha. Of course, Jesus is there. So what does Martha start doing? She starts doing things. I got to serve Jesus. I got to do better. I got to help Jesus. I, Jesus in our house. We got to make things right. We got to work. We got to work. We got to work. And she gets really ticked off that Mary is sitting crisscross applesauce in front of Jesus. And so she goes to Jesus. And she says, Jesus, why is she not coming to help me? And here's what, here's what Jesus says. Look at this. He says, Martha, Martha, you are so worried. How many of y'all feel that every day? You're so worried. You just keep trying to do and do and do. I love Jesus. He just doesn't really condemn it. He just says, I get you. <laughs> I'm compassionate and loving and faithful. And I'm actually the hero, the good Samaritan. But you keep trying to be the good Samaritan. But Martha, Martha, <laughs> he says, Mary's chosen the thing that is what? Say that word. Necessary, not an opinion. The thing that is necessary is this for the Christian, for the Christian. Sitting, embracing the love of Jesus, and listening to him. Spending time with him. Jesus, Jesus is the definition of love, is literally sitting with flesh on in front of Mary, and she's just soaking in it. 99% of Christians go throughout their day and they never spend time just bathing in the love of God for them. And we wonder, we wonder why we're worried, anxious, not fulfilled, don't actually love people, feel bad about that, because we don't do what's necessary. So I'm over time, but here's what I want to pray for. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus. 
telling you, friend, don't be like the lawyer. You would think the lawyer would just say, well, that's impossible, Jesus. And Jesus would be like, yeah, I know. That's why I'm here. But he doesn't. He's so prideful. He's like, I'm going to go try that. So maybe you're here this morning and say, I'm going to try it. Anyways, I'm a good person. Listen, friend, listen. There will be no peace in your life outside of relationship with Jesus Christ. You will not find it. You will not get out of the thing you're in. You, will, you, you won't have purpose. It's not going to happen. So this morning for you, the band's going to play. There's altars here. You can do right there in your chair. You can come talk to one of us up here. You can say, like, I need to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm, I'm going to give my life to you. You can do it in your chair. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I think I'm, I think I'm the Samaritan, but I'm actually the broken person that needs saving. Would you save me? Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. If you're a Christian here this morning and you walk with Jesus and you just feel depleted, can I tell you, I would probably bet, assured, it's because we've forgotten what's necessary. And maybe this morning you say, God, would you help me? Because I can't do it. I'm not, when alarm clock goes off tomorrow, I'm going to forget and I'm going to feel guilty again. But would you help me understand it is necessary before I go out of that house that I take a moment, open your word, read it as if my father is shared sharing his love with me and tell me how much he loves me so I can walk out like royalty and I can hear from you because I know you know what I'm going through. And you close that Bible and you walk out and what's going crazy is because you're so filled up, you're so filled up in the love of God, what's going to happen is you'll start to love your neighbor and you're like, what's happening? I'm just like freely loving. Yeah, because it's not you. It's the good Samaritan living through you. Isn't that amazing? Can I pray for you? Lord Jesus, I pray for this church. I pray that we would be known as a people that walk with you, know you, love you, but more importantly, embrace how much you love us. God, would we understand and embrace that on a daily basis. God, we need you today. I need you this afternoon, God, when the person cuts me off or when the person annoys me or the person who doesn't do what I think, um, Lord, or when I fail and I feel guilty, I need to be reminded that you love me that I'm secure in you, God. God, remind us of that on a daily basis. And God, would you help me fight against my flesh to try to do and keep earning God's love? And would you help me embrace spending time with you every day? Because it's necessary. Instead of doing, it's necessary to sit and just bathe in your love, in your goodness, and listen to you. God, would we be a people that are so known that when people come in our midst, people say, man, those people love kind of like Jesus. Not because we can, but because you can through us, God. So that's what we ask. Would you do it? Would you do it? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.